In this episode, we go in-depth on how to build on your tribe-originated content and how you can utilize and reconfigure it so that you provide access to material in different ways, thereby broadening the market for it. This is Digital Bacon FM. Friday, it is one minute past the top of the hour. Our marketing maestro and man of mystery, Stephen Barnes. Good morning, sir. Phil Collins fan, uh, you are. What a well, I am indeed. What a well, I am indeed. So, um, as you know, I went off to Western Australia uh, to my uh, my home state and my hometown of Perth uh, over the course of the weekend. Fly in, fly out to see uh, my musical hero, Phil Collins. Mm, now, you, I do trust that you had a look at the uh, the WhatsApp I sent you that I got from Kerry Ann. Did you look at it? I did. Yes, I'm not quite <laughs> sure to make of that. <laughs> Obviously not a full Collins fan. Um, yes. Well, you know, to say to, to 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 say that he's been writing music at the highest level and performing music at the highest level for forty five, going on for fifty years, mm. and he can can he can come out uh, onto a stage with fifteen and a half thousand people in front of him. Um, given that he has had uh, terrible problems with his health, such that he walks with a walking stick now and uh, um, it has to sit down for his entire performance, the way that he could command 15,500 people, not people, loving, adoring fans. Um, In Perth of all places. Uh, his music. Well, and sing and sing his incredible compositions uh, to you know, screaming adulation of everybody present um, really says a great deal about this man and his ability to perform and uh, and just, you know, impact people's lives positively, not least mine. So I was, uh, I saw Phil Collins with Genesis in 1978. Were you born then, Jason? I think just, just about, were you know? Just. Yeah, you were just about. <laughs> Cheeky yeah. bugger. Yeah. Yeah, so I saw him for the first time in 1978. I saw him again in 1980. I saw him again in 82, and then I didn't see him at all until uh, the Perth concert this last weekend. And uh, you know, to have uh, this man's music available to me all of those years, and to be able to you know listen to him live, perform it when I thought he'd never really perform again, because mm. by his own admission, you know, well, the name of the tour is the Not Dead Yet tour. So um, yeah, he was never going to perform. He came out of retirement and uh, it was a complete privilege. And it's barely surprising that his concerts are selling out uh, mm. wherever he goes because he's an amazing, uh, amazing musician. And did you notice a huge change from 82 till this weekend? Not at all. Not at really? all. Not at I, all. I, I noticed a massive one. Better. When I, I saw yeah. um, Elton John in 91 in Hong Kong. And then he okay, came yeah. out, I think, in 2015. I went with Joanne, 2014, maybe it was. Um, and yeah. definitely not the same man, very knackered. But, I mean, he just didn't manage to hit the notes that he used to, but he certainly gave it a good go. Oh, no. Uh, I, he, he was, Phil, Phil, Phil was amazing. Uh, unbelievable. Absolutely. Mm. Got all the notes. Just, yeah, yeah. It was a bag. And I'm, I'm, I'm loath to say it was the best concert of my life because all the concerts you go to, invariably, they're really good unless they suck, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't expect anything less from this gentleman and, uh, and he didn't disappoint. Good. Yes. Yeah. Well, we need to stop talking about that because I could talk for I could talk for hours and hours and hours and hours about that stuff. But we're here to talk about how to build a monopoly for nothing with no money invested, right? We are, sir, indeed. Thank you for the email. So, this uh, mm -hmm. well, we've been um, 
steadily working our way through uh, 43 chapters of the Monopoly Planner material mm. that uh, forms part and parcel of the overall intelligent content marketing idea virus. Um, and the conversations that we're having about the Monopoly Planner material, uh, we're going through them chapter by chapter. And last week we talked about how to essentially generate content from your tribe, the people that uh, you forge relationships with as a result of your content platform. Um, and they uh, interact with you in such a way so that you can convert those interactions into content for your platform, which will also help other people uh, solve similar problems to those when they come across them in the future. Mm. Um, and uh, that's sort of part and parcel of the continuing story of how we need to build a platform and today we're going to talk about um, building on tribe originated content we're going to talk about how you can take your platform content that you've sort of you know invested heavily in over the uh, over the months and years and then reconfigure that same content in such a way so that um, you give access to your material in different ways so that you, in a sense, broaden. Well, firstly, you broaden the the the, um, the the market for the material, if you will, and secondly, you organise the material in a way so that it's actionable uh, and allows people to get immediate value out of it. And by that, I mean you you take your tribe originated content together with your foundation content, and then you um, develop kits. Uh, uh, that uh, are ultimately a compilation of resources that already exist in your tribe originated content platform, your foundation content platform, but gives, as I say, people access to uh, that material in an actionable sense. So, for example, um, you can go on our website, you can go to the Hong Kong Visa Handbook, and you can work your way through all our material sort of line by line and learn everything that you need to learn about how to make an application for a visa in Hong Kong without paying for any professional help. Um, and you'll be able to uh, sort of get there. But in order to um, sort of arrive at the destination you set out on when you start to work with that content, you've got to consume the content in the order that we give it to you. Whereas because we know that you can take that content uh, and sort of reconfigure it in a way to turn it into a, a kit, a do-it-yourself guide, that's exactly what we did. We converted the resources that we'd already got and repackaged it into sort of a kit. Uh, and by packaging into a kit in that fashion, you can make that kit available to people rather than um, giving it sort of freely via the website, you make this kit available uh, against the provision of uh, an email address. Mm. Because if you um, provide the free do-it-yourself kit, as we do in this instance, against an email address, by getting that email address, you've now got the contact details of the, of the person who's consumed that content. And that gives you an opportunity, if you so wish, to go on and have a sort of an email relationship with them or, or develop a dialogue um, uh, uh, well, develop a relationship, develop a dialogue with them via email subsequently, such that they have the opportunity to stay connected to you. And if you continue to sort of relate to them going forward via that email address by giving them new value and anticipating the sort of new value that they might need uh, without trying to sell them anything, you uh, significantly increase the chance that that relationship, which has started off on the basis of just you providing free information, will graduate into a situation where uh, they'll end up paying you money. 
Now we we've spoken about the tribe originated contact in in uh, content in the form of answering questions. Is there other forms of content that you can uh, develop from your tribe? And is there a danger of that content being the copyright of somebody else? Well, to answer your second question first, as long as you produce that content yourself, then you will not be copying it from anybody else. And therefore, there's no chance that you'll be breaching copyright. Um, Yeah. Um, But in terms of other... um, uh, ways to get content ideas from your tribe. Well, um, if you're not going to answer questions, then you could suggest that your tribe ask you um, to produce particular content that would a- answer uh, a specific, let's say, subsection of the, the niche that you, you're in that you may not have elaborated on to any particular degree. Um, but um, because a user of your website can see that uh, there's a lacuna of information there that would be ideal for you know that particular questioner to have access to, you could you could produce content uh, against direct requests of your tribe, and that way you've got the um, knowledge that the material that you're producing is in the main uh, you know going to be useful for the, uh, for the for the tribe because it's quite possible that you can go off on a jolly of your own and produce a whole lot of content that never gets consumed because it's not actually it's not actually of any practical use sure yeah so and, and, and um, is, yeah is there an, an is there a danger i know you say um you have more than ten thousand pieces of content online is there a danger yeah. of having an information overload? Well, yes, there always is. But the trick is to understand what people expect of your website when you get there, when they get there. Okay. So you can certainly overwhelm people with information. But if you produce your, if you produce your information in such a way that it's just telling them what they need to hear or know about at that particular juncture, Mm. And nothing more than that, knowing that if they have additional queries or questions arising from that limited exchange with that content, that they're just one click or two clicks away from getting the additional information that they need to uh, allow their sort of um, educational journey to continue. Then that's where having a very large pool of content, not only from a, a Google perspective, but also from a you know, utility perspective, really comes into its own. Mm. So I don't subscribe to the view that you can inundate people with too much information. Um, what I prefer to think is that we produce material that will answer a question or will educate somebody in a positive, useful fashion. And as long as one single person will get value out of that content, then 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 it's an investment worth making. Mm. Um, but you need to appreciate that uh, whilst the notion of information overload is a very real risk, if you understand how people put your material to practical use, then you will not be tempted to produce content that would tend to overwhelm people you'll only produce content that gives them what they need to be able to do the job to be done that Mm. is bringing them to the website in the first place. And so, again, if you understand how when you build your platform with content over time, you understand how people interact with the content over time, you get some insights into how your market responds to the the fact of the presence of your, um, uh, your platform on the web. Because... You can glean, for example, what we've gleaned that even though we've got 10,000 pieces of content, more than that in actual fact now, we know that the average visitor to our website 
comes spends less than three minutes on our website and we'll spend and we'll be uh we'll click on three links okay. and what that tells us that is that once they've come onto our website they've, they've they've arrived on the basis that they wanted a piece of information that they could only get from our websites and that within three clicks and within three minutes they've got the answer to the question that they need uh, and they've departed so in that guys having 10,000 pieces of content hasn't in any way created an information overload dimension what mm. it's done is it's actually the because it's where it's configured it's it's actually given the um opportunity for the website visitors to get what they need in the fastest possible time without you know, needing to scratch their head and wondering if what they are reading is going to be applicable to them or not now do you do you set a time or a number of words um for each piece of content and say that's the maximum attention span i have of the people who visit my site so if you say they do three clicks uh one would assume that the first two clicks were to get where they wanted, and maybe that's 30 seconds in total, and there they've got two and a half minutes reading the, the body of why they really went there. Um, well, yeah, but we, we tend, I tend to configure the content so that the people are consuming what they need to consume in mere bite-sized chunks, but at the same time giving them what they need all in the same location for them to be able to click off to another page where they can get you know the actual information mm. that they need so let me explain what i mean by that so um i will do most of my content these days uh, is either video content where i've sh where I've, I've talked for for an hour say uh, and we've shot all of that footage um uh, or it's podcast answers to questions uh, content Podcast answers to questions content is, is easy for me to produce uh, and it doesn't take up much sort of on-page space either because I simply dictate an answer to the question and then the question goes off. So the podcast answer goes off to transcriber who transcribes it. And then on the page, when we produce the answer to the question, we take the question that came into me via text slightly configured to protect the innocent mm. and then we have the text of the podcast transcription and then we have the podcast answer itself and so that's how general questions get answered using um you know podcast motif but on the video side what i do is for that one hour video talk i will break it down into probably 12 to 15 smaller videos bite-sized chunk videos mm. and each bite-sized chunk video has got a title that accurately describes what i'm talking about inside that section of the talk that means that someone for example who who has um, who's going to make an application for an employment visa in Hong Kong? Um, let's say they have previously, once previously, gone through the process of getting a Hong Kong employment visa application approved. They've got some knowledge about the process, but it was three years earlier, and they want to understand one particular element of the application process that's, that, that applies today rather than how it might have applied, say, three years ago. And they're not sure how it applies today and whether the laws have changed or not. Because the way that our video content is broken down into sort of between 15, 12 to 15 uh, segments for each one-hour talk, um, they can watch one segment of the video and then they can skip three or four more segments and go directly to the segment that's, that might be number five that's actually what they need to catch up on. But mm. because they don't have to 
because they can they can see the content of the of the videos in the middle because we've given them names that describe what I'm talking about in those videos. They don't actually have to consume those videos. They just consume the one you know the one that's named after you know the particular information that they're seeking. So they're able to drill down and, and access the information in a very efficient fashion. So so it, you know the 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 video itself will be uh, maybe three or four minutes, but then the links to all the other segments of the longer talk are all they're all named out in such a way so that you can go you know cherry picking specifically for the information that you'll need without having to watch the whole video and figure it out you know that way. So 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 when I lay out content in that fashion, I'm I'm doing it knowing that people just want to get access to the stuff that brought them to the website in the first place. And I'm not so vain as to, you know, to believe that they're hanging out because they really love our websites. Cause I know I'm a, I surf the internet like everybody else, right? You only spend time on a website to get you, you know, what you want out of it and then you move on. Sure. And our, our websites are designed uh, with, you know, with that in mind squarely too. Now, when you, when you plan your content and you are going to shoot a video, do you actually shoot it? so that you can make the snippets or is this done in the editing process afterwards is it is this well is this pre-thought all, yeah all my all my talks are done against a powerpoint presentation and the power the powerpoint presentation uh, has a slide each has one slide and on, on each slide there's usually one image and that one image tells me what i need to be saying at that point in the presentation it's my aid memoir because i've got such a strong command of the material right all i need to know is, is to be prompted as to what i should be saying at this point at this at this part of the presentation so in the same way as we're doing with a monopoly planner um, I, what i do is i tend to talk against a particular slide and I'll, I'll pose a question around that particular slide or I'll, I'll, I'll pose a, a, you know, a topic of conversation around that particular slide. And I'll make the points that I need to make on that particular slide. And then I'll move on and I'll do that through all the normal PowerPoint slides during the, the rest of the presentation. So if you're actually watching the one hour presentation, you're just seeing me go through you know, 12 to 15 sort of picture slides and, and, and talking about the ramifications of why I've got, you know, the, the slide up on the, um, uh, on the screen. But after the fact, when it comes down to producing the video, we basically slice and dice that one hour video down into chunks that mean that I'm just talking about the material on one slide only. So that means it's logically sort of arranged, all the materials logically arranged so you can dip in and dip out and get what you need out of it. Or you can well, sit and watch the whole video from, from beginning to end if you so wish. But again, it's all about utility at the end of the day. And I recognize that most people just don't want to watch a whole one hour video just to get what might be two or three minutes worth of material in the middle when I can make it available to them sure. so they can just dive, dive down and get what they need when they need it. And, and I'm sure if you are taking a one hour video and actually making 15 videos out of it, you've got 15 more pieces of content, which obviously help you with Google. Absolutely, because you're able to pose the um, the pose the question that's being answered in those materials in such a way as to reflect natural language in a query that will get entered into the Google search box. Mm. And so you're able to pull up 
particular answers to questions that are actually reflected in the middle of a video somewhere that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to get via Google because, you know, you'd just be, if you just had the whole one hour video, you just have that one opportunity to be found under the name of that one hour video. But you've got 15 opportunities to be found if you've gone down into 15 logical parts of the, the same presentation. Mm. Now, in your slide, you've got the email address which you get and you give them something for providing that to you and you use that to develop future relationships. Then you've got this, yeah. you segment interest groups. What do you mean by yeah. that? Well, okay. So um, there are there are lots of different reasons why people come to our websites. They're all coming generally to find out information about Hong Kong immigration, sure. But there's seven or eight different visa types inside the general topic of immigration. And um, it's useful for us in terms of managing our future relationships with people who've given us their email address. It's useful for us to know particularly what information they subscribed for, mm. because if they subscribe for an employment visa, in the future, I don't want to be sending them information and free value information on the dependent visa because that's not of interest to them. Sure. Now, is this an automated process or is this a manual? One? Yes. Yeah, it's all done. You can either use ClickFunnels software or you can use uh, Aweber. Uh, and in fact, um, I think um, not SurveyMonkey, there's another one uh, that's automated. I forget what it's called now. But there's, the, the, there's three or four well-established um, uh, autoresponders, they're called. And uh, that gives you the ability just to collect an email address and then programmatically relate with the provider of that email address going forward. Uh, using the software, you don't have to get involved at all with any kind of administration of managing those relationships. So it's all done automatically. Mm. And who keeps you up to date with the changing of the law with regard to holding of people's information and sending them the opt-in, opt-out? Um, and how important is it to keep on top of that? Well, it's it's really it's vitally important these days. And thankfully, if you get uh, if you get a good service like Aweber or ClickFunnels then all the compliance elements associated with the GDPR, for example, uh, they're, all, they're already built into the software. And it, it, basically what it means is that if somebody has said to you, I don't mind you sending me information, and you can prove that they said to you, I don't mind you sending me information, then until such a time as they say, stop sending me information, then legally you're able to send them information. That's mm. kind of what it boils down to. There's a, a service that I, I think you have come through all around the world. You have Gumtree? Yes. Okay, so yes. Gumtree here, I went and bought some equipment. And if you want to contact somebody who's flogging some stuff on Gumtree, they don't give you an option of not receiving content. As soon as you want to contact somebody who's selling stuff, they market the shit out of you, including phoning you and trying to sell you insurance. And then they'll say, mm -hmm. oh, no, no, no. You Are oh, you opted in for it? Surely that's not allowed. Well, in principle, it's not, but it depends sort of which jurisdiction you're in. Mm. Um, depends how aggressive uh, anybody is in enforcing their rights under it, and ultimately what the regulatory regime is to protect, you know, interests that arise out of legislation that um, have been crafted, you know, for data protection and privacy purposes. It's very patchily in. Um, um, it not implemented. It's very patchily uh, policed, I found. And the fact that you've still got this ongoing problem of spam uh, mm. that just never seems to go away, irrespective of all the maneuvers that have gone on to in 
improve consumer protection in relation to the data and, uh, and and being spammed by people it still happens mm. uh, and i think it's just it's just the nature of the tech right at the end of the day if the tech enables it it's going to empower the worst type of behavior in people that they can display and uh, and of course there's always going to be people that will uh, display shit behavior and uh, and try and seek to get an advantage out of that and that, that that that's clearly proven in the idea of these continuing spamming that goes on even after what 10 years of of constantly receiving spam about viagra and other sort of you know other stuff that uh, you, you tend to receive via spam it's clear that the spammers still get sufficient enough return on their investment uh, to make it worth their while to continue spamming mm. um, and there unfortunately must, must you know, we all it. suffer from that it's a very, very small cost, right? That's the that's the reason. Very mm. small cost. Well, if you if you take Gumtree as an example, uh, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how they monetize it because they're not taking a percentage from the person who sells it or buys it. Obviously, they're getting advertising. They sell adver- You know, yeah. people who want their ads promoted would pay something. I would think. Um, they do, yeah. And I wonder what the value of everybody's data is that actually goes on there and gives the information, and if they are legally allowed to sell it. Well, if you were to look through Gumtree's um, terms of membership and use of site, you'll probably find that uh, they've covered all those bases that will allow them to manipulate uh, your data. Uh, They all say that if you you don't know how they're making any money, uh, then clearly you're the product. But it's true. It's interesting because it's so true, Jason, because, you know, unless you Google and you can or Facebook and you can actually see the kind of insights that you glean from having access to people's data in that fashion, you you don't really understand the power of of, 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 that's embodied in all of that. And I can tell you to a certain degree that there's huge value in being able to gain insights that others don't have access to. Mm. Um, and we do that on our websites because, you know, we've mapped the knowledge graph in Hong Kong immigration. So we can tell you, for example, on any one given day, um, exactly how many people in Hong Kong are thinking about the answer to the question, what's the minimum salary for a Hong Kong employment visa? Mm. Well, you know, how unless you've got a platform like ours and you're able to sort of measure those metrics or at least, you know, monitor the, uh, the, the the data that's generated as a result of people using your websites in that fashion. Unless you've got, you know, or that platform that, that gives you those insights, how the hell are you going to ever be able to generate, um, you know, uh, insights as to what's going on in the marketplace like I can by ans- by knowing the answer to the question, how many people, um, you know, sorry, what's the minimum salary for Hong Kong employment visa and how many people are going to ask that question each day or interested in that question each day. Mm. I've got that data. I've got the answers to that. My competition don't have the answers to that. And you might say, well, what's the value in knowing that? Well, it might well be that in that particular question, there isn't any value in knowing that. But, but that's not the only question that we've got insights into. Mm. We've got insights into, you know, more than more than 50,000 questions that get asked. And we know what people are searching for and we know what people are interested in. Mm. And we can assess if they've gone from one page to another page to another page, essentially what their mindset is in relation to the problem that has brought them onto our website in the first place. So, so yeah, um, there's huge value in data and you only ever really understand 
the value of that data if you've got access to it and you can see what it represents and then understand how you can then make decisions predicated on that knowledge, knowing that your competition, your commercial competition, simply don't have access to those insights and never be able to compete against you because, you know, you know stuff that they don't. Mm. Now, do you have terms and um, of con- no, they like terms and conditions on your page? Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody can use our website uh, freely um, and they can share the material freely. Uh, they're just not allowed to exploit it for commercial purposes. Mm. That's more than fair. Mr. Barnes, it's the bottom of the hour already. Always a pleasure to catch up with you, sir. I know it is Chinese New Year and Hong Kong and China will be quiet next week. Are you around or are you flitting off somewhere? <laughs> No, I'm I'm around. I've got too much too much work to do. I can't be gallivanting off to you know far fun places. <laughs> he says, I'm sure just to watch Phil Collins." <laughs> you're gonna play. You're gonna play some Phil for me on the way out on this uh, uh, the bottom of the hour, young man. Uh, I could hang on a minute. Let me bring. It is a Happy House Friday. Let me see if I have a house track of uh, Phil Collins. I very much doubt it. Way way after his time. Oh, oh no! <laughs> hang on a minute. Oh, oh wait, no. wait. I've got twelve Phil Collins songs. Su su studio. Uh, oh, how yeah, about studio? Studio. Okay. Studio. Yeah. Is that is is that how we're gonna go out? Yeah, because because everyone in my family who attended the concert with me was still singing studio in the shower 48 hours after the concert. He was that good. <laughs> hey, great. We started with the show talking about my, my musical hero. We finished with my musical hero. Enough said. Sir, you have a very good weekend. We'll catch up next week. This one is just for you. Digital Bacon FM. Join us next time for a talk on the importance and power of vulnerability. Vulnerability.